1: Greetings, Saints. God bless you. Thank you for joining us today for the Unleavened Bread Bible Study. Thank you, Father, for blessing us today, giving us wisdom, especially in the matter of warfare against enemies. Thank you, Father, for giving us the victory. It's already done in Jesus' name. We praise you for it. We thank you for wisdom today uh, to help us to. Uh, agree with you in this battle and win and be overcomers. Amen. All right. We're going to call this how to have victory over enemies. Thank you, Jesus. You know, the first thing you have to do is to sanctify yourselves for the battle. We're told in 1 John 3, 21 and 22, Beloved, if our heart condemn us not, we have boldness towards God. And whatsoever we ask, we receive of Him, because we keep His commandments and do the things that are pleasing in His sight. So, you need this boldness of heart. Um, or otherwise, the devil will come and accuse you, and you'll lose faith, right? So... In 1 John 1 or 9, we're told if we confess our sins, He's faithful and righteous to forgive us of our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. So then you can have boldness towards God. If you do that honestly and believe the promise that He will cleanse you of all unrighteousness, um, then you can have that boldness towards God, right? And we're told in Romans 6, 11 through 14, Even so, reckon ye also yourselves to be dead unto sin, but alive unto God in Christ Jesus. This is where justification by faith comes from. Jesus took away your sins, and so you can believe it and stand on it. Let not sin therefore reign in your mortal body. If you don't believe it, you will not have victory over it that you should obey the lusts thereof. Neither present your members unto sin as instruments of unrighteousness, but present yourselves unto God as alive from the dead, and your members as instruments of righteousness unto God. In other words, don't put yourself in a position to sin. Don't willfully do that. Okay? For sin shall not have dominion over you, for you are not under the law, but under grace. So I'm sure you can do a lot more studying on this, and especially justification by faith. And uh, the devil always comes to condemn you for things from your past, or he comes to condemn you for something he spoke into your mind. there's no condemnation to them that are in Christ Jesus, right? You put it under the blood by confessing it and being cleansed from all unrighteousness. And if he comes back, you have to do warfare against condemnation, right? Lots of people are dealing with this. The devil knows how to do this. been doing it for a long, long time. My suggestion to you is that when he comes in something you've already confessed and already put under the blood, you know, go on the attack against him, you know run-off condemnation, run-off fear, run-off doubt, you know. And uh, one of your best weapons against him is to know that the victory is already accomplished. In Colossians 1 and 13, it says, "...who delivered us out of the power of darkness and translated us into the kingdom of the Son of His love." We're not under the power of darkness, if you're walking according to your conscience, or even if you failed and confessed your sin and got back on track, you are not under the power of darkness. And you should act that way and speak that way and think that way. Or you'll lose the battle. John 16 and 33 says, These things have I spoken unto you, that in me you may have peace. In the world you have tribulation but be of good cheer i have overcome the world well notice we're to be happy because he's already overcome the world for us we're entering into his works through faith paul said so if you want to do his works you must believe that your sins were taken away and that you've been given the victory also, John 12 and 31, it said, he said, now is the judgment of this world. Now, that means then, right? <laughs> he said, now is the judgment of this world. Now shall the prince of this world be cast out. Well, was he cast out? He was cast out by faith, was he not? Faith in what happened there at the cross. And we still claim it. He has no authority and no power. He's here to deceive people who don't believe the gospel. They don't believe the good news. He has no authority and no power. Exercise your authority over him, right? The promises are put there so we can use them as a two-edged sword, right? John 19 and 30. When Jesus, therefore, had received the vinegar, he said, It is finished. And he bowed his head and gave up his spirit. It is finished. He knew that he had overcome the world. He had conquered the enemy by that sacrifice. And everybody who has faith in that sacrifice will have that victory. And also Luke 1, 68 through 75 says, Blessed be the Lord, the God of Israel, for he hath visited and wrought redemption for his people. It's done. And hath raised up a horn of salvation for us in the house of his servant David. And as he spake by the mouth of his holy prophets that have been from of old, salvation from our enemies, and from the hand of all that hate us, it's been accomplished. Notice. To show mercy towards our fathers, and to remember his holy covenant. Yes, he made that covenant with Abraham, as we were saying recently. Um, this, this covenant is still with us. Um, the law did not supersede that covenant. It was a meantime thing until the seed should come to whom the, the promise was made, and that was Christ. And, of course, everybody who is in Christ has this, right? If you abide in him. The oath which he swear unto Abraham our father to grant unto us that we being delivered out of the hand of our enemies should serve him without fear. Notice this is a a, a promise from a long time ago and it's still true today. In holiness and righteousness before him all our days. It's our right To walk in holiness and righteousness and overcome the enemies. It's already been accomplished for us. We're simply stepping into the works of God through faith in Jesus Christ and His Word, right? Ain't God great? Another thing you're going to want to do the whole time you're doing warfare against an enemy or want your victory over an enemy is to pray always at all times. Ask for everything. It, it, God knows you're depending upon Him when you're asking Him. You're not depending upon yourself, your ingenuity, your strength, your money, whatever, on and on. 1 Thessalonians five seventeen says, Pray without ceasing. And Hebrews 4 and 16 says, Let us therefore draw near with boldness, unto the throne of grace that we may receive mercy and may find grace to help us in time of need. Go boldly before the throne and do it all the time. You can go boldly. You don't have to be ashamed to go and ask God. You shouldn't come up with, you know, cliches that uh, God's too busy for this or, or, or whatever. This is what He says. We have to honor Him by what He says, He wants us to go boldly before the throne of grace so that we can receive mercy and find that grace and, and, and help in any time of need against an enemy that's already been conquered, for goodness sake, you know? Ain't it great? It's good to remember the good news, the gospel. The gospel is the power of God unto salvation to everyone that believes it. So that's what we're talking about today. And, of course, we always talk a lot about exercising your authority. If you don't, the devil will exercise his. <laughs> Luke 10, 17 through 19 says, And the seventy returned with joy, saying, Lord, even the demons are subject unto us in thy name. Mm -hmm. in thy name. And he said unto them, I beheld Satan fallen as lightning from heaven. Behold, I have given you authority to tread upon serpents and scorpions and over all the power of the enemy and nothing shall in any wise hurt you. So we have this authority. If we exercise it, will it automatically come to pass? Why, no, it won't. We have this authority. We are to exercise it over Satan and over all of his angels, his, all of his demons. The demons are subject unto, unto us. And Jesus said, Well, I saw Satan falling from heaven. Well, who was doing that? Well, they were. And the saints ultimately will figure this out and they will do it. But we can do this anytime and all the time, it's our authority to cast down Satan and his angels. That means cast down their authority over us, their power. He's the prince of the power of the air, right? But he has no authority or power over us, so we should be exercising our authority over him. Amen. And also says, Revelation 12, 7 through 11, which is a principle that is true for now. But what he's talking about is this being manifested in the time when God's people get the revelation and start acting upon it, right? So uh, since it's good for now, I'm going to share it with you. And there was war in heaven, Michael and his angels going forth to war with the dragon, and the dragon warred with his angels. Remember, even before this, the dragon was seeking to destroy the man-child and failed. The man-child was caught up to the throne, which is what? Authority. Oh, he did not want that to happen. (laughs) He doesn't want you to be caught up to the throne of authority. He doesn't mind lukewarm Christians. There are no no problem to him. Uh, There are no threat to him. When you find out you have been sanctified through the work of Jesus Christ, delivered from sin, and capable of throwing him down, that's when he worries, right? So Michael and his angels going forth to war with the dragon, and the dragon warred with his angels. Notice the dragon, who is said to be the devil, has angels. Some people say they're not angels. They're angels. The Bible says so. And they prevailed not. Neither was their place found any more in heaven. And the great dragon was cast down, the old serpent, he that is called the devil and Satan, the deceiver of the whole world. The whole world. Everybody is deceived by him, except for those who get these revelations. He was cast down to the earth, and his angels were cast down with him. And I heard a great voice in heaven saying, Now is come the salvation and the power and the kingdom of our God and the authority of his Christ. For the accuser of our, of our brethren is cast down. Look, the accuser of our brethren. You know there's a lot of little accusers out there that work for him, and that's all they do is accuse others. I notice you've seen the political realm how the very left wing is accusing the people on the right, including Trump, of doing the very thing that they are doing. And they do it all the time. That's the devil in them. That is demon possession. That is what the devil does. He's always accusing the brethren, always. He can't stop. And the people, these are not like people that get offended with you and go away. No, they are demon-possessed, and that demon in them is wanting very badly to accuse you and to lie and to slander you and to bring you down. Don't you accept it in your mind? See, You're not supposed to accept his accusations against you in your mind, his slander against you in your mind, nor through other people. Don't accept it. He said, The accuser of our brethren is cast down, who accuseth them before our God day and night. And they overcame him. Mm. Now, this is the same way we're going to overcome, because of the blood of the Lamb. You see, Jesus took away our sins. We're delivered by the blood. We're washed and cleansed by the blood. And because of the word of their testimony, because they held fast their confession... We, we have to hold fast our, the confession of our hope firm until the end, right? Hold fast the word of their testimony, and they love not their life even unto death. In other words, they were willing to give up the old life, the old man. Those that are not willing to give this up, they will be your enemy. They will fight against you. They will be on the side of the dragon. They will seek to devour you. So uh, pity them. I mean, don't worry about them. Pity them and pray for them, you know, that they will see through it and come through it. But resist them and uh, be honest with them just the way Paul and Peter and Jesus were. Tell them who they are so that they can repent. Tell them where they're going to go if they don't repent. All right? And, you know, this brings... This to mind, of course, it should for all of us, and that is we're to wrestle with the demons and not the people. In Ephesians six ten through 18. Finally, be strong in the Lord and in the strength of his might. Well, that's, that's what we need right there. Now, how do you get that? Where is it? Okay, he says, put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand against the wiles of the devil. He's a deceiver. And his people are deceivers. Notice, the people who persecuted the saints all the way through the Bible were who? People who called themselves Christians. But they were not. They were the devil's little accusers, right? Okay, for our wrestling is not against flesh and blood, but against the principalities and against the powers and against the world rulers of this darkness. And against the spiritual hosts of wickedness in heavenly places. So we're dealing with demons. These enemies that come against us, these are demon possessed people. You see. And that's what we got to deal with is the demons. They're not, they don't have a power to overcome them anymore. They lost their authority over them, they lost the knowledge of the gospel, they lost everything that they're taught. But, uh, and so they're totally given over to this, and they think it's righteous and true, notice that the left wing in the political side, we've, we've noticed and been told by the Lord that the same thing that's going on in the political side is going on in the spiritual side. There is a parallel, a perfect parallel. So the demons are through the left, constantly trying to drag Trump down. And the demons in the church are constantly trying to, first of all, drag the man-child down like the dragon in Revelation 12. But we know they fail. They fail because the man-child is caught up to the throne. He exercises this authority, in other words. Okay? We do, too. We always have to exercise our authority over the the wicked demons. We'll have... We'll ha- we have authority over the demons, okay, in the people. That's how you deal with it. So he says, take up the old, whole armor of God that you may be able to withstand in the evil day. Okay. And having done all to stand, stand therefore having your loins with truth, girded your loins with truth. Hold on to the truth. See, the truths that we're talking about here will give you authority over the demons, and so will give you authority over the wicked who are ruled by the demons. And having put on the breastplate of righteousness, amen. So you, your, your heart, your innards are protected uh, from the enemy's arrows, spears, whatever, uh, if you're walking righteously how do you get there we already spoke about that confess your sins and then confess your savior once you've confessed your sins he's faithful and just to forgive you and then you confess your savior and in the course the devil is coming to condemn he does it through people he does it through spirits he does it in your ear he does <laughs> whatever uh, don't don't let him deceive you and having shod your feet with the preparation of the gospel of peace, the good news of peace. Where did we find that? We, we, we just spoke about it, how that it was given to us by Jesus. He gave us peace from our enemies. He gave us deliverance from our enemies. Praise be to God. They'll never have peace. There is no peace to the wicked, says the Lord. They'll never have peace until they repent. But you can have peace, right? And withal, taking up the shield of faith. Yes, you know how to protect yourself. Is don't let any of the fiery darts of the wicked one come into your heart, come into your mind, because you have this this shield of the knowledge that um, you were delivered, that you have authority over them, that you were uh, saved healed, whatever, whatever it is you want from God, you know, the promises are there. Take up your shield of faith. He kills many people because they don't hold on to the faith in the promises of God. Many people, um, lives are shortened. They die before their time because they don't have the shield of faith. Wherewith you shall be able to quench all the fiery darts of the evil one. Yes, he's coming against you. He's making war against you. He speaks against the word. If you need a healing, he speaks against it constantly. If you need a resurrection, he speaks against it constantly. And yes, well-meaning Christians around you will try to talk you out of it, right? And, you know, since we were healed by his stripes, we are healed, you know. And take the helmet of salvation, which is what? To protect your mind, right? Because he comes against your mind. He wants to tell you that you are not sozo. Or soteria, salvation. Sozo is saved. He wants to tell you you don't have that. And he wants to put fear in you that you aren't saved from sin, sickness, the curse, etc., etc. That you don't have the salvation from these things. You have this helmet. Cast it down. And the sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God. you got to swing it against the devil. He is a real enemy, but he can't do anything with the sword of the Spirit. With all prayer and supplication, praying at all seasons, there tis again, praying at all seasons in the Spirit. You know, praying in the Spirit is so powerful, you will cast down the works of Satan by praying in the Spirit. Keep it up. Don't give it up. Keep it up. Praying at all seasons in the Spirit. You know, I will pray with the Spirit and with my understanding also, Paul said. So praying with the Spirit is not praying with your understanding. It's praying in tongues. If you don't have that gift so that the Holy Spirit can pray through you according to the will of God and with faith, then you're missing something. Go and ask God for this gift and receive it. Receive it by faith. Have people pray over you, whatever. But receive this gift. You need this when you're in war against the enemy. And watching thereunto in all perseverance and supplication for all the saints. In other words, pray for, you you know, you have your brother's back, (laughs) you know. Uh, Pray for your brother and sister in the Lord because God will bless you. Remember when Job prayed for his persecutors, the faction that was against him? God delivered him. He gave him grace because he was giving grace, right? And while you're doing all this, be sure and do not trust in the strength of man. Because God's offended about that. His power is made perfect in our weakness, right? Psalm 44, 3 through 7 says, for they get not The land in possession by their own sword. Now, if you know and understand, you've been studying with us a while, you know that the land is us who drinks the rain from heaven. Right? We are God's tilled land, the Bible says. And if we bring forth thorns and thistles, we're nigh unto a curse, right? We are not to be bringing forth the curse, we're to be bringing forth the fruit of Jesus. But they got not the land in possession by their own sword, neither did their own arm save them. But thy right hand and thine arm and the light of thy countenance, because thou wast favorable unto them. Well, We want the favor of God. There's that grace that you go boldly to the throne for. Favor, that's what it is, right? Thou art my king, O God. Command deliverance for Jacob. Amen. Amen, Lord. Through thee will we push down our adversaries. Notice there's lots of adversaries, not just the adversary who's called the devil, but he's got lots of children out there to do his work. Um, Through thy name will we tread them under that rise up against us. For I will not trust in my bow, neither shall my sword save me. But thou hast saved us. There it is. It's already done. Thou hast saved us from our adversaries. You have to have this knowledge. That's part of the sword of the Spirit. And hast put them to shame that hate us. Yes, he does that. Always puts them to shame. Psalm 146 and 3 says, put not your trust in princes, nor in the Son of Man, in whom there is no help. Yep. You know, um, God has a vessel. Uh, President Trump is a vessel, for instance. and um, But you're not to put your trust in him or what he can do or what he can't do. You're to pray for him. All right. Your trust is not in him. People think that he's a very wise and very smart man. I'm not taking anything from him. He is all these things. But this does not give you victory over a spiritual enemy. It does not. It cannot. No amount of natural wisdom will conquer these spiritual enemies. It has to be God's wisdom, right? And God's wisdom given to him and God's wisdom given to us who pray for him and others. Right? So, put not your trust in princes, nor in the Son of Man, in whom there is no help. God's offended about this. He doesn't want this. If you want to see somebody fail, trust in them. (laughs) You know, because God's not going to permit you to do that. And by the way, in the battle, fear not. Fear not. As Jesus said, Deuteronomy 20, 1-4 says, When thou goest forth to battle against thine enemies, and seest horses and chariots and people more than thou, thou shalt not be afraid of them. For the Lord thy God is with thee. He is with thee. O glory be to God who brought thee up out of the land of Egypt. See, he brought you out to save you and deliver you and give you the victory over the enemies in the promised land, right? Amen. And it shall be when you draw nigh unto the battle that the priest shall approach and speak unto the people and shall say unto them, Hear, O Israel. You draw nigh this day unto battle against your enemies. Let not your heart faint, fear not, nor tremble. You remember Gideon's army? Anybody that was fearful was to go home because they weren't going to be nothing but wait for everybody else and could cause you to lose the battle. Notice when Jesus went in to resurrect the dead, he took three of the most faithful disciples with him in there he didn't want any of the people that were crying and moaning and groaning in one case you know he didn't want any of them he wanted nothing but faith in the room right not saying that God can't do it he does do it in front of people like the widow's son Uh, but in general he does it quite often when the fear and the unbelief is not in the room neither be ye affrighted at them For the Lord your God is he that goeth with you to fight for you against your enemies and to save you. praise be to God. And if he spoke it to them, he spoke it to us. We who are born from above, right? And, you know, um, a great battle was fought. Uh, and God gave the, the victory to those that just praised him. Second Chronicles twenty one through 24. And it came to pass after this that the children of Moab and the children of Ammon, and with them some of the Ammonites, came against Jehoshaphat to battle. Then there came some that told Jehoshaphat, saying, There cometh a great multitude, which we just addressed, right? against thee from beyond the sea, from Syria. And behold, they are in Hazazon Tamar, the same as in Gedi. And Josaphat feared. Now, he's not supposed to do that. But he did set himself to seek the Lord. That's a good thing. If you fear, get rid of the fear. Talk to the Lord, right? And he proclaimed a fast throughout all. Judah. Another very good thing to do when you're fighting with the enemy, fast, right? And Judah gathered themselves together to seek help of the Lord. Even out of all the cities of Judah, they came to seek the Lord. Amen. Good thing to do when the enemy's without. And Jehoshaphat stood in the assembly of Judah and Jerusalem and in the house of the Lord before the new court. And he said, O Lord, the God of our fathers, art not thou God in heaven? Art not thou ruler over all the kingdoms of the nations? Remember this, folks. God is sovereign. He is over the enemy. Uh, Constantly when the enemy came against God's people, especially when they were in sin, God said that he sent them over and over all through the Scriptures. He is an authority. He can send them and he can send them against you so you can clobber them. (laughs) <laughs> yes, and he does that, too. He confesses that in the, in the, in the Word, too. So, um, And in thy hand is power and might, so that none is able to withstand thee. They believed in the sovereignty of God. Didst not thou, O our God, drive out the inhabitants of this land before thy people Israel and give it to the seed of Abraham, thy friend, forever? Yep, he did. Didn't he give you your land? for your spiritual man to live in and rule in. Yes, he did. He wanted you to go in there and conquer the old Canaanite, the old man of the land, and take that land away from him, take his house away from him, and live in it yourselves, right? And they dwelt therein, and have built a sanctuary therein for thy name, saying, if evil come upon us, the sword, judgment, or pestilence, or famine, like, uh, Sounds just exactly like what we've been learning that the deep state is going to bring against apostate Christianity. Are you ready? Well, you will have to be able to withstand this. We will stand before this house and before thee, for thy name is in this house, and cry unto thee in our affliction, and thou wilt hear and save. Call upon the name of the Lord. Whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. Right, And now behold, the children of Ammon and Moab and Mount Sur. Uh, that's the Edomites, right? These are, these are traitors. They're coming against their brother. These are factious people who are coming against Jacob. They're kinfolks. Whom thou wouldest not let invade, Israel invade when they came out of the land of Egypt, but they turned aside from them and destroyed them not. Behold how they reward us to come and to cast us out of thy possession. That's their purpose. The enemy wants to cast us out. of. You know, they want to take over America, don't they? They want to take over the church, too. (laughs) So it's the same people. They got the same demons, exact same thing. Uh, Cast out of thy possession, which thou hast given us to inherit. O our God, wilt thou not judge them? For we have no might against this great company that cometh against us. Neither know we what to do, but our eyes are upon thee. Lord, we're looking at you. We're asking you give us the directions. You're the general. We're just uh, the followers here. And all Judah stood before the Lord with their little ones, their wives, and their children. Uh, then upon Jehaziel, the son of Zechariah, the son of Benaiah, the son of Jael, the son of Mataniah the Levite, and the sons of Asaph, came the Spirit of the Lord in the midst of the assembly. And he said, Hearken ye, all Judah, and ye inhabitants of Jerusalem, and thou King Jehoshaphat. Thus saith the Lord unto you, Fear not ye. There it is again. Neither be dismayed by reason of this great multitude, for the battle is not yours. But God's, it is God's battle. Praise be to God. He's already told you what he's done, right? And you want to see him move? Continue to believe what he has done concerning your enemies. Yeah. 16. Tomorrow go ye down against them, and behold, they come up by the ascent of Ziz, and you shall find them at the end of the valley before the wilderness of Jeruel. You shall not need to fight in this battle. There it is. Not our works, right? Not fighting with flesh and blood. Yep. Mm -hmm. You shall not need to fight in this battle. Set yourselves, stand ye still, and see the salvation of the Lord with you. O Judah and Jerusalem, fear not, nor be dismayed. Tomorrow go out against them, for the Lord is with you. You have to know that, and you have to believe that, that the Lord is with you. You're justified by faith, right? That means you're accounted righteous by your faith, that the Lord has taken away your sins, right? And, of course, if you forgive, you're forgiven. So you can't take part in that unless, unless you forgive, Right? And Jehoshaphat bowed his head with his face to the ground, and all Judah and the inhabitants of Jerusalem fell down before the Lord, worshiping the Lord. And the Levites of the children of the Kohathites and the children of the Korahites uh, stood up to praise the Lord, the God of Israel, with an exceeding loud voice. They were praising God, thanking God for the victory. Right. And they rose early in the morning and went forth into the wilderness of Tekoa. And uh, as they went forth, Jehoshaphat stood and said, Hear me, O Judah, and ye inhabitants of Jerusalem. Believe in the Lord your God, so shall you be established. Believe his prophets, so shall you prosper. And when he hath taken counsel with the people, He appointed them that should sing unto the Lord and give praise uh, in holy array. You know what praise is, right? Halal. It means to brag on God. (laughs) What has he done, right? Well, he gave them a victory already. He said so. And and they were just to go bragging on God. In holy array. That means uh, dressed up with uh, righteousness and holiness, right? As they went out before the army and say, Give thanks unto the Lord, for his loving kindness endureth forever. Woo-hoo. And when they began to sing and to praise, the Lord set liars in wait against the children of Ammon, Moab, and Mount Sur. Again, these were all, go back, as you go back, uh, kin They factioned against their brethren. That were come against Judah, and they were smitten. For the children of Ammon and Moab stood up against the inhabitants of Mount Sir, utterly to slay and to destroy them. And when they had made an end of the inhabitants of Sir, every one helped to destroy another. Oh my goodness! What happened? The faction, factioned. <laughs> Uh, And when Judah came to the watchtower of the wilderness, they looked upon the multitude, and behold, they were dead bodies fallen to the earth, and there was none that escaped. Hmm. Okay. So, praise means bragging on God, right? Yes. And this will give victory over enemies, like Psalm 149, 1-9 through 9 says, Praise ye the Lord. Sing unto the Lord a new song and His praise in the assembly of the saints. Let Israel rejoice in Him that made Him. Let the children of Zion be joyful in their King. Amen. Lord, we praise You. We thank You for the absolute victory You've given us over the enemy, Lord. In Jesus' name, hallelujah. Let them praise his name in the dance. Let them sing praises unto him with timbrel and harp. For the Lord taketh pleasure in his people. He will beautify the meek with salvation. Notice salvation is salvation from enemies too, right? Some people narrow salvation down a lot. You know, they don't see what it covers. It covers everything you need. Soteria means um, salvation from our enemies in every form and fashion, right? All all my needs provided. Let the saints exalt in glory. Let them sing for joy upon their beds. Let the high praises of God be in their mouth and a two-edged sword in their hand. To execute vengeance upon the nations and punishments upon the peoples. So they're executing this by coming against the very demons that are upholding these people, right? That's what we're doing. That's what we're told to do. You know, in the Old Testament, they did wrestle with flesh and blood, but it was a type of wrestling with principalities and powers and rulers of darkness, right? To bind their kings with chains, and their nobles with fetters of iron, and to execute upon them the judgment written, This honor have all of his saints. Praise ye the Lord. Why does he say praise ye the Lord? Because that's what you're doing. You're binding their kings with chains, and their nobles with fetters of iron. You're scattering the enemy. You're turning their uh, what they are sow back on top of them, so that they reap what they have sown. Second Corinthians two and fourteen. But thanks be unto God, who always leadeth us in triumph in Christ. What is triumph? Triumph is the celebration of the victory. Yes, and you do this before you get in the battle. <laughs> yes, uh, who always knows, always leadeth us in triumph in Christ. And maketh manifest through us the savor of his knowledge in every place. Oh, hallelujah. Thank you, Lord. So, believe and speak the end from the beginning. And, of course, while you're doing it, be sure and forgive any against you, any who are against you. Mark 11, 23 through 25. Verily I say unto you, Whosoever shall say unto this mountain, and I believe he was talking about the Mount of Olives, or the Mount of Corruption, it represents um, a mountain by Jerusalem that is uh, corrupt in its doctrine, in its people, and so on. It represents corruption. Say unto this mountain, Be thou taken up and cast into the sea. So a mountain is a kingdom, right? Cast into the sea, and shall not doubt in his heart, but shall believe that what he saith cometh to pass. He shall have it. Amen. Therefore, I say unto you, all things whatsoever you pray and ask for, look at that, let it sink in. All things whatsoever you pray and ask for, believe that you receive them, and you shall have them. And whensoever you stand praying, forgive. If you have ought against anyone, that your Father also who is in heaven may forgive you your trespasses. Let me say something about forgiveness. Personal forgiveness you always owe to everybody, no matter what they've done. Okay. Governmental forgiveness is a different thing. The Bible says, If he repent, forgive him. That's talking about people in the body, people who are wanting to come back into the body. Like First Corinthians 5, Paul talked about casting somebody out of the body. Later, he asked them to bring him back because he had repented, right? He was exercising um, dominion over the wickedness in the body. This is necessary. So forgiveness can be governmental, Or it can be personal. Personal, we always owe it. Governmental, we only owe it when a person repents. If he repents, forgive him. That's what he said. And Joseph said in Genesis 15, 20, And as for you, you meant evil against me, but God meant it for good. He believed in a sovereign God, so he was able to forgive his factious brothers who um, sent him into captivity and lied about him. And the harlot also lied about him. It represents the same parable, really. Um, and as for you, you meant evil against me, but God meant it for good to bring to pass as it is this day to save much people alive. Amen. So notice, you are to speak to the mountain. You are to believe you have received. Uh, we're supposed to speak the victory first. 1 uh, Samuel seventeen forty-five through forty-seven says this. Then said David to the Philistine, "Thou comest to me with a sword and with a spear, and with a javelin. But I come to thee in the name of the Lord of hosts, the God of the armies of Israel, whom thou hast defied. This day will I will the Lord deliver thee into my hand." and i will smite thee i will take thy head from off of thee and i will give the dead bodies of the host of the philistines this day unto the birds of the heavens and to the wild beasts of the earth that all the earth may know that there is a god in israel and that all this assembly may know that the lord saveth not with sword and spear he saves with a little boy <laughs> He saveth not with sword and spear, for the battle is the Lord's, and he will give you into our hand. Yeah. Praise God. And he was showing. I mean, they they were all running from the giant, right? <laughs> but he was very bold, and he spoke it ahead of time, and it came to pass. Praise be to God. And I have this little saying I heard from many, many, many years ago. Right song... Wrong Side. The uh, Israelites uh, celebrated after the Red Sea destruction of their enemies. And before, they were anxious and troubled and fearful and spoke against God. But he saved them for his namesake. So I call it Right Song, Wrong Side. Uh, Exodus 15 and 1. Then sang Moses, the children of Israel, this song unto the Lord, and spake, saying, I will sing unto the Lord, for he hath triumphed gloriously, the horse and rider thrown into the sea. Yeah. Well, shouldn't they have been doing that on the other side? (laughs) Yes, that's what the Lord has taught us. You're the mouthpiece of God. You speak for him. He will bring down your enemies. You speak it. He will bring them down. And, uh, of course, the thing about bringing down enemies is if you bring down the demons that control them, they are then free. If If God decides that these are the elect, sometimes they're not the elect, and they're going to their disaster. I mean, it's a forever – hell is forever, as I told somebody just yesterday – you know, hell is forever. We want to be sure that everyone makes it that is elect of God. And otherwise, at least their demons are conquered and they can do nothing to you, right? And Revelation 19, 1 and 2. And after these things, I heard, as it were, a great voice of a great multitude in heaven, mm. saying, hallelujah. Salvation and glory and power belong to our God. For true and righteous are His judgments, for He hath judged the great harlot. And that's exactly what's happening and going to happen. I mean, even outside of the book of Revelation, the time frame of the book of Revelation, it's constantly happening. Her that corrupted the earth with her fornication And he hath avenged the blood of his servants at her hand. They're celebrating. But I want to tell you, we are always being led in triumph, which is a celebration of the victory. We're doing that now. Notice the verse I just shared, Exodus fifteen one, Triumphed gloriously. (laughs) So, So again, right song, wrong side. Let's do it now. And another thing, while you're in the battle, you must be sure to obey your king in general. Exodus 23, 20 through 23. Behold, I sent an angel before thee to keep thee by the way and to bring thee into the place which I have prepared. Take ye heed before him and hearken unto his voice. Provoke him not. For he will not pardon your transgression, for my name is in him. In other words, he won't permit it. You can repent of anything and get forgiven, but uh, he's not going to pardon you while you're in the midst of it. And that's why people got left in the hands of the devil, right? But if thou shalt indeed hearken unto his voice and do all that I speak, Then I will be an enemy unto thine enemies. Notice he said, if thou shalt indeed hearken unto his voice, that's the angel, and do what I speak, God speaks through angels. They are perfect prophets, I call them, because when they speak in the name of the Lord, they are speaking the Lord's word. And I will be an enemy unto thine enemies, and an adversary unto thine adversaries. Yes, they may come, all their railing and all their whatever, you know, threats and reviling and whatever, but God will turn on them. For mine angel shall go before thee and will bring thee into the Amorite, the Hittite, the Perizzite, the Canaanite, the Hivite, and the Jebusite, and I will cut them off. those in the land that are the old man and they are not the new man don't belong there. They were to continue walking through the whole land and destroying these enemies. And you too are to do that. We are doing it on a larger scale in the government. We are doing it on a smaller scale in our individual lives because this land, like Hebrews 6 says, is us. The old man is not to rule this house. The spiritual man is to rule this house. Numbers 14, 41 through 43. And Moses said, Wherefore now do you transgress the commandment of the Lord, seeing it shall not prosper? You won't prosper if you're breaking the word of the Lord. Go not up, for the Lord is not among you that you be not smitten down before your enemies. Some people go up against their enemies and are smitten down because they've sinned. And in this case, they had. For there the Amalekite and the Canaanite are before you, and you shall fall by the sword, because you are turned back from following the Lord. Therefore, the Lord will not be with you. So if you're not following the Lord, don't think you're going to go up against the enemy and win against the enemy, right? You can go boldly before the enemy if your conscience is clear, right? And Second Chronicles 24 and 20. And the Spirit of God came upon Zechariah, the son of Jehoiada, the priest. And he stood above the people, and he said unto them, Thus saith God, Why transgress ye the commandments of the Lord so that you cannot
2: prosper?
1: You cannot prosper, cannot cannot prosper. Notice. Because you have forsaken the Lord, he hath also forsaken you. Yes. So we can't win against our enemies if we've forsaken the Lord. But if you confess your sins and you turn to the Lord and repent, and um, and then he delivers you of all unrighteousness, and then you're able to conquer the enemy, right? Joshua 6, 2 through 5, And the Lord said unto Joshua, See, I have given into thy hand Jericho. That's the beginning of their promised land. It was defended by the old man, right? And the king thereof and the mighty men of valor And you shall compass the city, all the men of war, going about the city once. Thus shalt thou do six days. See, remember, it may not sound correct to you in your natural mind, but obey your general, whatever he tells you to do, you know. He told me today to talk on this. I asked him very plainly, and he told me very plainly. So I'm just obeying, right? Going about the city once, thus shall you do six days. And seven priests shall bear seven trumpets of ram's horn before the ark. And the seventh day you shall compass the city seven times, and the priests shall blow the trumpets. And it shall be that when they make a long blast with the ram's horn, when you hear the sound of the trumpet, all the people shall shout with a great shout, and the wall of the city shall fall down flat, and the people shall go up every man straightway, straight before him. Okay. And why is a trumpet? Why a trumpet? You know a trumpet? Of course, uh, breath um, can be turned to intelligible, something heard. And a trumpet represents that, turning breath into something that is heard, something righteous that is heard. Like Gideon's army, you know, they blew the trumpet and the enemy went all, you know, all out to kill each other. <laughs> so it's the voice of the Spirit because breath and Spirit is the same word, the voice of Spirit spoken through the trumpet, brought down the enemy. Amen. How awesome. Okay, I think we're going to take up this again later. So thank you, Father, for this in Jesus' name. And, um, Father, we ask you to also uh, bless Michael and um, the brethren as they share. And um, thank you so much for that. We're thanking you for victory over our enemies, Father, in the name of Jesus. Amen. All right, saints, we'll do this again sometime. Good night.
2: Well, thank you, Brother David. God bless you. Hello, saints. And it is good to be back with you again. Let's go to the Lord. Father God, I just praise you and I glorify you, Father. I thank you, Lord, for being our God. You, you're you the Lord of our our homes. You're the Lord of our uh, finances. You're the Lord of everything that we do, Lord. And I praise you for that. Lord, I just ask that you join us just today to talk about prayer and what it means to each individual in Christ. And I praise you, Father, for for teaching us how important it is, Father, to Talk with you every day and to, uh, be able to understand and to know that you're our Father and that you want to answer our prayers, Father. And I thank you for it, Father. In Jesus' name. Well, that's exactly what I want to talk about to continue on about prayer. It's, uh, it's a good subject and it's one that's needed. So let's look at Matthew. Chapter 6 first, there are uh, several prayer principles that Jesus taught us in Matthew chapter 6. Let's start out verse 5. <clears throat> and when thou prayest, thou shalt not be as the hypocrites are, for they love to pray standing in the synagogues and in the corners of the streets that they may be seen of men. Verily I say unto you, they have their reward, but thou, when thou prayest, enter into thy closet. and When thou hast shut thy door, pray to thy father, which is in secret, and thy father, which sees in secret, shall reward thee openly. <clears throat> but when you pray, use not vain repetitions as the heathens do, for they think they shall be heard for their much speaking. Be not ye therefore like unto them, for your Father knows what things ye have need of before ye ask him. Jesus said, in Matthew six and five, when thou prayest, thou shalt not be as the hypocrites are. <clears throat> now I'm sure none of us want to be like hypocrites, and we certainly don't want to be hypocritical in our praying, do we? Jesus went on to explain that how the hypocrites in his day prayed. He said they loved to pray standing up in the synagogues and in the corners of the streets, so that they could be seen of men. But here's what Jesus said we ought to, how we ought to pray. He said, But thou when thou prayest, enter into thy closet and <clears throat> when thou hast shut thy door pray to thy father which is in secret and thy father which sees in secret shall reward thee openly, Matthew 6 and 6. Now that don't mean that all of our praying ought to be done privately. For instance, we can see the early church at prayer in the Acts of the Apostles, we can see them as a group praying together, and they prayed it together again and again throughout the book of Acts. <clears throat> but what Jesus was saying is if there is a possibility in public praying When people are gathered together to pray in a group, that we might be like the hypocrites, only praying publicly to be seen of men. We might be praying so that folks will think we're really spiritual, that we're real prayer warriors. Now, you know, you can fool folks sometimes, but you ain't going to fool God. Because God, who sees in secret, he's the one who hears and answers our prayers. Now, the thought that Jesus is trying to get over to us in these verses here is not to pray in order to be seen of men and to receive their accolades of men. And if that's your only reason for praying, then that's all the reward you're ever going to get. And that's somebody thinking that you're praying real good. Jesus didn't say not to pray publicly, nor did he say we're not to pray with others in a group. If Jesus had said that, then he violated his own teaching. For Jesus himself prayed with his own apostles. No, here's the thought. It's one of motive, not to pray to be seen of men. That's what he's talking about. Don't be going out there and praying out in public so people can see you. Now, I want to say something before we go on a little further. You can't get by in your Christian walk just on public prayer. Or praying with others in a group. You have to have. A private prayer life of your own. And that's because. If you're going to develop and grow spiritually. You have to enjoy fellowship with God. So we need to build a private prayer life of your own. And also. We need to pray. With our families. Particularly if you have children. That have family devotions. We should offer thanks for the food. Which we eat also. But you as an individual aren't going to get by on praying with your families or praying with others. You're going to need to have a regular prayer times. Not just those times when one is driven to pray out of despair because of things that are going on around you. But you need to get by yourself and, and, and get in tune with God, so to speak. Your own private prayer life is really the place where you're going to grow spiritually. That's where you're going to learn to pray and have sweet fellowship and communion with God. But too many times, this is where people fail. So I encourage you to maintain the practice of getting alone with God. Jesus said something else about prayer in Matthew chapter 6. He said, when you pray, use not vain repetitions as the heathens do. Now here in Matthew 6, 5, and 7, We've got two admonitions from the Lord. Jesus said, don't be like the hypocrites in your praying, and don't be like the heathen in your praying. Jesus said the heathen thought they would be heard because of their repetitions or because of their much speaking. That's the way the heathen or the unsaved in the world think. Now, you can readily see that some of this worldly thinking has even sifted into the Christian way of thinking. Too many Christians have the idea that they'll be heard by God because of their much speaking. Yet that is exactly what Jesus condemned here when he said they, talking about the heathen, think that they shall be heard for their much speaking. Vain repetition means just repeating the same prayer, saying the same words or phrases over and over again by rote. Some think they will be heard by God by doing that, but they won't. You know what pleases God? It's faith, not vain repetition. Faith is what pleases God. Now, we're going to see in a moment that Jesus said it is the prayer of faith that God hears. God's not going to respond to your prayer simply because you repeated the same prayer over and over again because of your much speaking. God responds to faith, folks. Some's got the idea that if I could just pray long enough and loud enough, and eventually I could talk God into the notion of hearing me. That might not be the way they put it, but that seems to be the way they act anyway. I've actually heard people tell others who were praying around the altar in a prayer meeting, Louder, pray louder so God will hear you. Have you ever heard that? I have. Now I know that vocal prayer is scriptural but God is not going to hear you because you holler louder than anybody else nor will he hear you just because you pray quietly. No, God hears you because you believe him when you pray and because you come to him according to his word. Now it's true that sometimes in prayer by giving expression to the inward longings and yearnings of your heart in the spirit you're going to Unconsciously, get a little loud about it, but that's not the same as praying louder just so that God will hear you, or try to talk to Him, talk Him into something, or answer you. For example, there's times when I get loud in prayer, but God doesn't hear me any more readily just because I get loud. It's because of my faith. Matthew six and eight: Be not therefore, be not ye therefore, like unto them. The heathen for your father knows what things you have need of before you ask him. You know, the father knows your needs before you ask, but yet he wants you to ask for your needs to be met because he said in his word, we are to ask. Now let's look at Matthew chapter six, verses nine through 13. And that's what we call the Lord's prayer. And what Jesus is saying to us in this passage of Scripture is not necessarily a prayer for us to pray word for word. But in it, Jesus does give us some principles in connection with the prayer that will work for the church today. Matthew 6, 9 through 13. After this manner, therefore, pray ye, Our Father, which art in heaven, hallowed be thy name, Thy kingdom come, thy will be done, in earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen. And some things that people have said about the Lord's Prayer are a little misleading. You see, this prayer is not the Lord's Prayer. In the sense that Jesus taught the church to pray this way. It's called the Lord's Prayer in the sense that Jesus gave this prayer to his disciples. When they asked him to teach them to pray. Now dispensationally speaking. This prayer is not how the New Testament Church of the Lord Jesus Christ should pray for. Jesus told his disciples to pray this way before his death, burial and resurrection. In other words, Jesus gave this prayer to his disciples to use at a time when they were still technically under the old covenant. Actually, the Lord's Prayer was given to the disciples as a way to pray during the transition between the fulfillment of the old covenant and the establishment of the new covenant. And in that sense, Jesus was giving his followers a way to pray during that interim period between covenants. Jesus' followers had a promissory note on their salvation because they believed on Jesus. Under the Old Covenant, nobody asked anything in the name of Jesus. And under the New Covenant, when the church prays, they are to pray to the Father in the name of Jesus. John sixteen twenty three and 24. You know, there are some things, however, that we can learn from the Lord's Prayer. For example, Jesus began when he said, After this manner, therefore, pray ye, our Father. First of all, we know that everyone is not a child of God. Under the new covenant, only those who have been born again are children of God. Jesus' followers could pray this way, saying, Our Father. Because as I said, they had a promissory note on their salvation. The unsaved today could pray this prayer with their lips, but only as one could recite a poem or a verse or sing a song. The word Father, that's not for the unsaved. It's for those born-again children who are in the kingdom of light. You see, if you're really going to pray effectually in fellowship with God from your heart, then you must actually be a child of God. And if you're not a child of God, you can't say from your heart or spirit, our Father, as Matthew 6 and 9 instructs. You know, we hear a lot of teaching these days about the uh, fatherhood of God and the brotherhood of man. And there's that some out there that was trying to make us believe that as human beings, we're all the children of God and that God is the father of us all. But really he isn't. God's the creator of all mankind. And therefore we as human beings are all fellow creatures. But God isn't the father of all human beings. We're not all brothers in that sense. And as I said, God is only the father of those who have been born again. <coughs> of those who are in his family. The kingdom of light. Jesus <coughs> said this. some some real outstanding top-of-the-order religious people. He told them, he said, You are of your father, the devil, in John 8 and 44, because Jesus was talking to the Pharisees, who, if you were to examine their lives as far as good work were concerned, were some very religious people. Yet what Jesus said, he said, You are of your father, the devil because they didn't accept Jesus as God's son and therefore did not submit to God's word from their heart. So to really be able to address God as Father, you must be born again. And he may be addressed as God to the world, but he's more than God to us. He's also our Father, Lord our God. And I like something that Paul said in Ephesians chapter 3. He was praying for a church at Ephesus, and in verse 14 and 15, Paul writes this, he said, For this cause, I bow my knees unto the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, of whom the whole family in heaven and earth is named. I don't know about you, but many times when I kneel in prayer, I start off praying just that way. I say, I bow my knees unto the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, of whom the whole family in heaven and earth is named. Now, to me, that brings prayer down to a personal, more intimate level. Many people have the idea that when they pray, they're talking to God like he's in some faraway, distant place somewhere. But if they do that, they got the wrong picture of praying to the Father. The truth about it is God may only be God to those people, but thank God he is Father to me, glory to God. And that's one reason the Jews couldn't understand Jesus. For instance, if Jesus had come along like some of the prophets of the Old Testament, proclaiming judgment against them and presenting to them a seemingly faraway God whom they couldn't approach in any way, they might have understood him because that's what they were used to. That's the kind of God they had understood in the Old Testament. But Jesus didn't do that. Jesus came along and introduced God as a father. Jesus said to those who believed on him, what man is there of you of whom if his son asks bread, will he give him a stone? How much more shall your father, which is in heaven, give good things to them that ask him? But for the most part, the Jews couldn't understand that kind of God. That wasn't the kind of God that they had known under that old covenant. For instance, when God came down and talked to Moses on the mountain, there was fire, there was thunder, lightning, and God's voice was heard. And if anybody touched that mountain, he died instantly. The people feared and trembled at the sight of the supernatural power of God. That's back in Exodus 19, 12 through 16. And when the presence of God moved into the Holy of Holies, If anyone intruded into that place who wasn't supposed to be there, he fell dead instantly. So you see, the Jews as a whole understood a God who was unapproachable. They knew about a God who was high and holy, who dealt in awful judgments, and they feared him. But here comes Jesus, and he began to talk about God just like he was his father. And about approaching God as a father. And they couldn't understand that kind of thought. And the same attitude is carried over to our day today. Especially among religious people. To many, Christianity is just another religion centered around a faraway God. And too many of them don't really know him. They've never come to God the Father by Jesus Christ to know him as their father and that's why many are trying to approach him in the wrong manner you know certainly we ought to fear god that's we should reverence him and worship him but thank god he's also our father jesus is saying in matthew chapter 6 9 through 13 that the right approach to god is to come to him because he is your father And to come to him in praise and worship. The Bible says our father which art in heaven hallowed be thy name. Glory to God. Glory to God. We come first with praise and worship into his presence. Because he is our father. Now notice the next verse of this prayer. Thy kingdom come. Thy will be done in earth as it is in heaven. Now, there's a principle involved here, which says we're supposed to put the kingdom of God first in our lives, even before ourselves. And Jesus said this again later in that same chapter. But seek ye first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things shall be added unto you. Notice what Jesus said uh, before this. He said in Matthew 6, 25, 27. He said, therefore, I say unto you, take no thought for your life or what you shall eat or what you shall drink, nor yet for your body, what you shall put on. Verse 27, which of you by taking thought can add one cubit unto his stature? Jesus was talking about material things. And he was telling us not to worry. Because to worry will actually destroy the effectiveness of your prayer. God's word tells us what to do about our words and our problems. We're supposed to cast them down on the Lord and let him solve them for us. First Peter five and seven. And it says, Casting all your care upon him, for he cares for you. Then Matthew 6, 31 and 32 says, Therefore take no thought, saying, What shall we eat, or what shall we drink, or wherewithal shall we be clothed? For after all these things do the Gentiles seek. For your heavenly father knows that you have need of all these things. Your heavenly father knows just as a natural father would know when his children have need of something to wear and when they need the other material things of life too. God knows about these needs just as you who are fathers know about such things. Jesus said this, he said, but seek ye first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. And all these things shall be added unto you, not taken away from you. Jesus didn't say it is God's will that you don't have much of anything to eat. Jesus didn't say you'll have to go through life with the soles of your shoes worn out either, or the seat of your britches worn out, that you'll have to drive an old beat-up car that works sometimes. No, that ain't what Jesus said. He said, seek ye first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things shall be added unto you. Material things won't be taken away from you if you put God first, because they'll be added unto you right then. Now, talking about divine healing, the Father knows if we need healing. And the words of the Lord's Prayer, Matthew 6 and 10, tells us, It's his will to heal us. He says, thy kingdom come, thy will be done in earth as it is in heaven. Is it God's will that any be sick in heaven? No. We know better than that. You know, if we're to pray for God's will to be done on earth as it is in heaven, heaven, then his will in heaven involves his will for his children on the earth too. You see, it's a family matter. There might be some of God's children who might be ill, but sickness is still not the will of God. The scripture said God knows we have need of all these things, including healing. And also, if we would follow this principle of prayer that Jesus has outlined in Matthew 6, 5 through 15, we wouldn't even have have to be praying for some things we're praying about and asking for. For example, there's too many times our praying is so selfish. It's like the story that is told about that old farmer who prayed, God bless me, my wife, my son, John, and his wife, us, four, and no more." <laughs> we might not pray like that word for word, but when you analyze it, that's about the extent of our praying much of the time. We spend most of our prayer time praying selfishly. We spend most of our time praying about our own needs, our own, but, uh, about material, financial and physical. Now, there ain't nothing wrong with asking God to meet our needs, for in his word, God promises he'll meet our needs. And God says we are to ask. And yet God, uh, Jesus tells us in Matthew six thirty-three that if we seek the kingdom of God first, that all these things will be added unto us. So, what he's saying here, if our priorities are right in prayer, we shouldn't have to do so much praying about our own needs. Now, we need to learn this secret of putting the kingdom of God first. And let's pray this way. Let's check this out. Lord, make me a blessing. Help me to help someone else. Help me to bless others with that which you have given me. Now, that's an unselfish prayer right there. Jesus gives us another important principle. As he finished that Lord's Prayer, he said in Matthew 6, 14 and 15, For if you forgive men their trespasses, your heavenly Father will also forgive you. But if you forgive not men their trespasses, Neither will your Father forgive your trespasses. What Jesus is talking about in Matthew 6, 14 and 15 is that prayer will not work in an unforgiving heart. You just simply cannot hold things against somebody in your heart and maintain a prayer life that's successful and gets results. And I'm telling you, this is real important. It's so natural. It's so human to hold things against people. It's part of our carnal nature. I've had people who were saved and filled with the Holy Ghost, but who were not walking in the best fellowship with the Lord, tell me just how badly they had been treated by somebody. And they tell me in great detail about who this old so-and-so did to them. So you see, they really hadn't forgiven that person unforgiveness was still in their hearts because it showed up in what they said. In a lot of cases, many people need help because they're frustrated and mentally confused because they're harboring offenses on the inside of them against somebody. They just need to forgive from the heart. Their frustration and confusion can a lot of times be attributed to their unforgiveness. You know? We're learning a lot more about unforgiveness and how it's connected with sickness and disease and ultimately with unanswered prayer. They're all related. We don't want anything to hinder our prayer life, do we? Now, he's, Jesus said something else about prayer in Matthew chapter 7 and 7 through 11. He says, Ask, and it shall be given you. Seek, and you shall find Knock." And it shall be opened unto you, for everyone that asks receives, and he that seeks finds. And to him that knocks, it shall be opened. Or what man is there of you, whom if his son asks bread, will he give him a stone? Or if he ask a fish, will he give him a serpent? And if ye, then, being evil, know how to give good gifts unto your children, how much more Shall your Father, which is in heaven, give good things to them that ask him? Now, I call your attention to the fact that this is a continuation of what Jesus had already said in Matthew chapter 6, when he said, Pray ye our Father, which art in heaven. Here in Matthew chapter 7, verse 7 through 11, Jesus is painting the picture of a father and a son. Jesus asked the question. What man is there of you whom, if his son asks bread, will he give him a stone? In other words, Jesus was saying this. He said, What father is there of you whom, if his son asks for bread, will instead give him a stone? Jesus continued. He said, If ye then, being evil or natural, know how to give good gifts unto your children, how much more shall your father which is in heaven, give good things to them that ask him. Praise God. And I believe we all know that this these verses in Matthew 7 are in the Bible, whether we use them or not. It says, I ask and it shall be given you. Seek and you shall find. Knock and it shall be opened unto you. But instead of just accepting what Jesus said, so many times we get on the negative side of doubt and unbelief and fail to get what we're asking for and fail to receive what we're seeking. Therefore, the door which we are knocking, it ain't open. And it's because we're on the negative side and we're not coming to God in prayer based on his word. Now notice verse 8. For every one that asks receives, and he that seeks finds, and to him that knocks it shall be opened. Too many times people have gotten on the negative side and they seem to think that what Jesus is saying is you just keep on asking Keep on the seeking, keep on the knocking, and you just keep on, and maybe you'll get through to God someday. That ain't what Jesus is saying. He's saying that if you ask, you receive; if you seek, you find; and if you knock, that door's going to be open. You know, I read about some missionaries who uh, went out at the probably around the turn of the century to the Holy Land to preach the gospel. And they stayed there until about 1931 or 32. When they returned after spending the first 30, 32 years of the 20th century there in the Holy Land, they wrote a book on the Holy Land and customs of the Bible. Now, you gotta understand that these missionaries went out at the turn of the century before all the changes occurred that are now in place in Israel. For instance, Jews have gone since gone back to their homeland from every country of the world. And they've taken some of those foreign customs back with them. But Matthew 7 and 7 through 11 is one passage of scriptures. These missionaries commented on in their book, and I thought it was good. First, these missionaries made this observation. You cannot actually understand the Bible with the Western mind. We have read and tried to interpret the scriptures intellectually in the light of the Western mind, but you can't do that. One of these missionaries said, my wife and I were both educated and trained as missionaries and as ministers of the gospel. I had the idea before I went to the Holy Land that when Jesus said, ask and it shall be given you, seek and you shall find, knock and it shall be opened unto you. He meant that if you asked and didn't get it, to just keep on asking and just keep at it. But the man continued. He said, but then when I went to Israel, I found out something different. The people understood in their minds that the minute you asked, you received your answer. In other words, once you asked, you should immediately thank God in faith because you had to answer. In other words, the minute you asked, you received. The minute you seek, you find. The minute you knock, that door is open to you. And the missionary went on to say, in some areas, the people of the East still have some of the same customs they had hundreds of years ago. For instance, if someone came to the door of the outer gate of somebody's home and knocked, they wanted to come in, the wealthier people would send their servants to the gate. And then the servant would call out and ask for the visitor to identify himself. And if the visitor was a friend or somebody who was known by the owner of the house, he could go ahead and enter in. But if he was a stranger, the servant would go back to the master of the house and ask him if he wanted him to let him in. Well, the thought here is this. When you knock, if you're known, thank God, you'll receive an immediate entrance. The Bible says to him that knocks it shall be opened. Matthew 7 and 8, as God's children through the new birth were known by God. We are in his family and he is our father and we have immediate access into his presence whenever we desire. Jesus summarized what he said about asking, receiving by saying, or what man is there of you whom, if his son asked bread, would he give him a stone, or if he asked a fish, would he give him a serpent? If ye then being evil, know how to give good gifts unto your children, how much more? He said. Well, I don't know about you, but those three words, how much more gets me excited in my spirit. How much more? Jesus said. He said, if ye then being evil, and that means natural, carnal, or human, know how to give good gifts unto your children, how much more shall your Father, which is in heaven, give good things to them that ask him? And to me, a person could easily preach divine healing right from that passage of Scripture right there. How many of you parents want your children to go through life with their nose to the grindstone? Never having nothing, poverty stricken, poor, downcast, downtrodden. How many of you want your children to go through life sick and suffering? I know not a single one of you want that. Well, Jesus said that if you feel that way, being evil or natural, how much more do you think God feels that way as your father because he is holy? Are these blessings? such as healing that we talk about so many times, good, or are they evil? Well, healing is good, isn't it? It's not evil. Ask the one who's being healed if it's good or not. (laughs) The Bible says that sickness and poverty are a curse. If you look in Deuteronomy 28 and Galatians chapter 3, verses 10, 13, and 14, it'll tell you that. So if sickness and poverty are a curse, then they can't be good, can they? Listen, if you don't believe that, read Deuteronomy chapter 28. You'll find that poverty and sickness are a curse. A curse is not a good thing, is it? I mean, if sickness came from God and God put sickness on people, then that would make sickness the will of God. In that case, people ought to pray, God, make my children sick because that's your will. I want them to be blessed. Sickness is such a blessing. So go ahead and make them sick. The more the sicker they are, the more blessed they'll be. So God, just make them sick as you can. That sounds ridiculous, doesn't it? But yet we got over in the religious world as a whole. Many times the impression is given to people that sickness is from God and that God in some way or another working out his holy will in people's lives by making them sick. The impression is given that God is helping folks become better Christians by making them suffer. With sickness and disease. Now it's a strange idea. That people could actually be better. Christians. Living under a curse. Yeah it's strange. It's certainly not God's will. That his people be under a curse. It's his will. That they be under a blessing. The Bible says that God wants to give us good gifts. Not evil gifts. Such as sickness and disease. Listen to what he says in Matthew 7 and 11. If ye then, being evil, know how to give good gifts unto your children, how much more shall your Father, which is in heaven, give good things to them that ask him? Now this same illustration is recorded in Luke chapter 11. If a son shall ask bread of any of you that is a father, will he give him a stone? Or if he asks a fish, will he, give, will he for a fish give him a serpent? Or if he shall ask an egg, will he offer him a scorpion? If ye then, being evil, know how to give good gifts unto your children, how much more shall your heavenly Father give the Holy Spirit to them that ask him? Now the words in Matthew chapter 7 verses 9 through 11 are similar to this passage in Luke, but Matthew did not refer to the Holy Spirit. Matthew, Matthew simply said, how much more shall your Father, which is in heaven, give good things to them that ask him? The Holy Spirit is one of the good things referred to in Matthew 7 and 11, even though he's not specifically mentioned in this passage of Scripture. And I'm sure that the Spirit of God prompted Matthew to write this passage the way he did for a reason. The Holy Spirit, as he inspired Matthew, didn't want us to get our minds only on spiritual things. He wanted us to see the goodness of a loving Heavenly Father who gives the good things of life, including natural things to His children. And He wanted us to know that God loves us just as we as natural parents love our own children. And God the Father wants His children to have good things. The Holy Spirit inspired luke to write this illustration in a slightly different way specifically mentioning the holy spirit as a good gift of the father and i believe the holy spirit did that for a reason because luke 11, 11 through 13 settles and for all that to receive the holy spirit with the evidence of speaking in tongues is to receive a good gift According to Luke chapter 11 to 11 through 13, if we ask for bread, God the Father won't give us a stone instead. And if we ask our Father for a fish, he won't give us a serpent. And if we ask for an egg, he won't give us a scorpion. Now remember in Luke chapter 10 and verse 19, Jesus refers to serpents and scorpions as evil spirits. But when we ask God, for something good he doesn't give us something bad in answer to our prayers no he gives us good things and he will give the holy spirit which is a good thing to those who ask him he is a loving gracious heavenly father now what jesus said about prayer is vitally important for us to understand and obey if we're going to have a successful prayer life. Now, I want to talk a little bit about praying in tongues. One of the important things in prayer is to take time to build up yourselves by praying much in the Holy Ghost with other tongues. Jude 2020 says, but ye beloved, building up yourselves on your most holy faith, praying in the Holy Ghost. Praying in the Holy Ghost, folks, is praying in the Spirit or in tongues. Paul made a statement similar to that in Jude chapter 20 and verse, and in 1 Corinthians 14 and 4, which says, he that speaks in an unknown tongue edifies himself, but he that prophesies edifies the church. Now, the word edify in 1 Corinthians 14 and 4 means the same thing as building up yourselves in Jude 20. One element of speaking with tongues in our prayer life does not involve praying for someone else, but is purely a means of personal and spiritual edification. It does something for us spiritually to pray in other tongues, and we need that kind of praying. We're not going to be able to edify others without being edified ourselves. And the more we pray in other tongues and build up our spirits, the more keen we'll be in the Holy Spirit and in the things of the Spirit. Praying in tongues helps make us sensitive to the Holy Spirit when he desires to manifest spiritual gifts through us. And we must stay sensitive to the Holy Spirit so he can manifest the gifts of the Spirit through us as he desires. And that's especially true if we're uh we're going to be used in the operation of the vocal gifts of the Holy Spirit. And that's prophecy, tongues, and interpretation of tongues. For we got a role to play in order for the vocal gifts to be manifested through us. The believer must yield. To the promptings of the Holy Spirit and speak out what that, holy, what the Holy Spirit has given him. That is, the believer must exercise his own vocal cords, but the Holy Spirit gives the utterance. In other words, we got something to do to cooperate with the Holy Spirit in the manifestation of vocal gifts because we're the ones doing the talking. We don't operate these gifts at will or apart from the Holy Spirit. But we're the ones who must yield to the Holy Spirit's utterance and do the actual speaking. Because believers have something to do with the vocal gifts, tongues, interpretation of tongues, and prophecy. The Bible instructs us in the use of these gifts telling us how and when to exercise him in 1 Corinthians 14, 26 through 33. However, you, you, you will notice that there are no instructions given to us at all about the operation of the other gifts of the Spirit. That's because a believer can't give himself or make himself have a manifestation of one of the gifts of the Spirit. He can only stay sensitive to the Holy Spirit and be available If the Holy Spirit desires to manifest a spiritual gift through him. For example, a person can't make himself a revelation. And God doesn't prompt a person to step out in faith and receive a revelation. No, the revelation just comes spontaneously by the Holy Spirit as the Holy Spirit wills. But it's up to the person to do something with the revelation after he receives it. However, with the vocal gifts, the believer himself has a role to play in these spiritual gifts being manifested. And while it's true the believer must be prompted by the Spirit, it's also true that the believer has to yield to the Holy Spirit's promptings and step out in faith and speak forth what the Holy Spirit has given him. For example, if I'm being used in a vocal gift, I'm the one who has to do the talking. I'm the one who has to speak forth what the Holy Spirit has given me. I have something to do with prophecy or tongues or interpretation because I'm the one who does the talking. However, the Holy Spirit is the one who gives the utterance. Did you ever notice how sometimes interpretation of tongues can be so dead with not much anointing on the interpretation? That happens when the speaker hadn't taken time to edify himself by praying in the Holy Ghost. And he doesn't have much unction or anointing to bring forth the message. One who has not prepared himself sufficiently by spending time with God and his word will not be very keen in the things of the spirit. And praying in the spirit helps you grow spiritually. Spiritual things are very similar the natural things jesus took natural things to explain spiritual things i ain't nobody going to be an expert or keen in any area without working at it now you needn't think that in the spiritual realm you're going to become an expert overnight in praying you won't be able to you needn't think that you can just sit around and wait for something to follow you either The only thing that's going to fall on you is disappointment and discouragement. No, you've got to put some effort into the things of God. And you won't be able to become proficient in any area without some effort and personal diligence. If you want to become expert in any area, you have to be dedicated. Men have become expert because they gave themselves to achieve a goal. They took time to become expert and keen in a certain field. They've denied themselves of a lot of good activities, even legitimate things in life, to give of themselves to become proficient in certain areas. Well, what about us? We're not going to be expert in the area of prayer unless we give time to prayer, unless we make prayer a habit and a way of life. We're not going to be expert in spiritual things unless we take time to dedicate ourselves To the things of God. Paul said, I will pray with the Spirit and I will pray with the understanding. In 1 Corinthians chapter 14 and verse 15. Therefore, the believer can pray in tongues at will. You know, I determined within myself that I was going to spend a certain length of time in prayer every day. And Once I decided that I was going to, I started doing it. And folks, it's paid rich dividends. When I first started praying regularly in tongues, it took about an hour to really get into that place in the spirit, where I was just lost in the spirit. Now, being lost in the spirit is when you just forget about the mental and natural realms. Time slips by, and you think that you've only prayed for about 15 minutes, when you've probably been praying for an hour or two. Now, I've never really been able to understand these people who talk about what a job or a chore it is to pray in the spirit some believers say that it just wears them out well it never wore me out sometimes i would pray two or three hours at a time that way people and i you know i'm, I'm just telling you what it is people who say praying in the tongue wears them out are trying to put too much of the flesh into it and they're wearing their flesh out But if you'll get into the spirit and get lost in the spirit, so to speak, it's really a rest. Isaiah said, for with stammering lips and another tongue will he, God, speak to his people. To whom he said, this is the rest wherewith you may cause the weary to rest. And this is the refreshing. Praying and speaking with tongues is a rest. You know, no wonder the devil fights praying in tongues so hard. He wants to make you weary. He wants you to wear yourself out. There is a side of praying in tongues that edifies us. And it edifies us spiritually and builds us up. I've had the Lord tell me when I wasn't so dull in spiritual things that I was just not keen in the spirit because I hadn't given myself time in the spirit. You know, sometimes we we'll get busy with other natural things and we, we don't take the time to wait on it. The Lord would tell me this. And as I said, when I first started praying like this in other tongues, it'd take me an hour or so to get, ever get lost in the spirit where the natural realm would seem to fade away. But, you know, lots of times I could get there almost immediately. And you too can if you'll just practice it long enough. And like we just discussed, it's so important to our spiritual walk to learn how to depend on the Holy Spirit to help us in our prayer life. And as we pray much in the Spirit, we will build up our spirits and become sensitive to the voice of the Holy Spirit. And as we give ourselves to prayer with the help of the Holy Spirit, we can enter into a realm of prayer where people can be delivered from the chains of sin and sickness that got him bound up. And you know what? The supernatural works can be uh, can be had then. Well, folks, I'm out of time. God bless you. We'll see you again next time. God willing. I can quench my thirsting soul. Pure as water
0: made me whole. Let your streams of mercy flow. Oh, Jesus, I trust in you though the mountains fall into the sea though the rivers rise i still believe for your mercy stands and your word is true oh jesus i trust in you and when i face the darkest night my Lord Jesus, Lord oh, Jesus